like to have fun. We're going to laugh. I want you to engage. And we're just going to praise God through this. I got, I, I was reading something and it says this middle-aged woman, you know, she has a heart attack and she's taken to the hospital. And while she's on the operating table, she has a near-death experience. And during this experience, this lady, she sees God. And then she asks him, is this it, Lord? And he says, no. And he explains to her that, hey, I'm giving you 30 more years. So this lady, you know, heart attack, she's in the hospital for a while. She decides, while I'm here, I'm going to have liposuction. I'm going to have facelift and you name it. And she starts doing all of this. So she goes through her healing time, tummy tuck, you know, you name it. She does a full body makeover. So she comes out of the hospital, y'all. And she's walking towards her car and then she gets run over by, a hosp by an ambulance. And then she says, Lord, I thought you told me I had 30 more years. She, he said to her, he said, I couldn't recognize you. <laughs> we like to laugh, okay? So, <laughs> that's it. so um, this morning, we, we just praise God. So Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to just minister your word this morning, Father. But Lord, I ask that in me, that you help this to be a revelation that my life will always look to find you, Jesus, in the pages of scripture. And Lord, I pray that you will use my lips to make you known to your people this morning. And it's in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, put your breath in me that I would say what you want me to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, yeah, we're gonna talk today. You know, every, I should call every lesson that I ever get an opportunity to teach learning of Jesus. The last time I think I did learning of Jesus and something else, but it is. Every time I open the scripture, I'm like, you know, Lord, it's never about me and the people that we see in the story. Like, you know, like Jairus, it's not about Jairus, and it's not about the woman with the issue of blood. You know, Jesus said, you know, where this scripture is told, the one who poured out the um, anointing oil on him, that it will be done as a remembrance of her. But at the same time, while Jesus allows us to see others in the scripture, the most important thing that he came to, to teach us was that we would see the Father, but as we see him and who he is. So this particular lesson I've titled, Learning of Jesus at the Well. Um, so we're going to read, and it's on John chapter 4. So I'm going to read a lot of scriptures, but it all comes from there because this is perhaps one of the most profound. And let me give you some background into the scripture. Um, back before Easter, Josh came to me and he said, you know, what do you think about, you know, what we're going to do for our Easter outreach? Because everything that we do, we're trying to make sure that we're very focused in what we do. Um, that it makes sense in what we're doing, sense that it, that it answers the vision of Victory Church, helping you to become all that God has called you to do. And if anything comes and it doesn't measure to that vision that we have here at Victory Church, God gave that to pastor, and we honor that, that, you know, pastor is the shepherd of this house, and we love and we appreciate him, my life 22 years in, and it is not the same being under his mentorship and his leading. So we're very grateful for our senior pastor. But everything that we do in the house must satisfy that vision. And while God may give you something as a member of this house, you see, because all of the gifts that he's placed in the body, it's one for another. It's not, my gifts are not for me. It's not to increase me. It's to help raise and minister to my husband, raise and minister to my children. And their gifts are to minister to each other and everyone outside of that. So we have things inside of us to minister to one another, but it's never for us. And so God may place a vision in your heart, but if it, and, and we will champion you all the way, but it might not be something that we get to do church-wide because what we do church-wide must satisfy that vision. So Joshua came to me and he said, what do you think about the Easter outreach? I said, well, let's pray about it and see what God wants us to do. A Friday morning, I'm sitting at my table and I'm thinking, you know, looking through my schedule and what's coming up. And Leah, I think, you know, my third child, she was in the kitchen. And then the Lord just started, he's like, get them thirsty. And I said, get them thirsty. Cause I was thinking about the college kids and you know, all the universities we have here and we have a lot of our students here from NC State University, mine being one of them, you know, and I said, how can we reach them Lord? And I heard the Lord say, make them thirsty. And I thought thirsty. So I go back to the scriptures and it was the woman at the well. So I come back into work on Monday and I said, Joshua, what do you think about that? We go out to NC State. We'll start there because we know some people there. And we take, you know, just like a thing. It was cool. It was cooler in spring and some hot cocoa and maybe some homemade cookies. And a lot of y'all made some homemade cookies and they were good. We didn't want to give them away when we tasted them. So 
and they were good cookies and we gave out hot chocolate we gave out lemonade but it wasn't and then the the question that the lord laid on my heart is ask them what their greatest challenge is because the easiest question that you can ever ask someone is hey how are you because what's going to be their response i'm fine i'm good well what's so fine about you what's so good about you you got to go into deeper conversations with people don't leave them at i'm good and i'm fine but this morning he said ask them what their challenge was and we had impact with those young people there and the story as we were there i didn't realize i was going to share this but as we were there we ran into some other people and you know when i asked lee i said what do you think about this she started crying she said if you're going to do anything could you do it soon and don't put it off mom I was like, okay. And I started crying. I was like, we're going to get ready to do this. And so we went out there, and we didn't face resistance from the kids there, <laughs> the students there. There, were an, there was another church that was present there, well, several people. And what Leah had told me before, she said, there are some people who come out there. She said, but the way that they talk to the students, she said, they think Christians are just like, they can't stand Christians. So we went out there with just a white tent and some hot cocoa and some cookies. We made them thirsty. And in every conversation after we asked what they were challenged with, we said, hey, give us like less than 20 seconds and we're, can we just pray for you? And some of them were like, okay, like this, like, okay. But we got to pray for them. But the resistance that we faced was with the other people of God that were there. So much so that one of the guys, as you know, I just went up to just see what this was and why they were screaming. And as I approached, I could hear him talking about Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's preaching the word. But I got closer, y'all. And as I got closer, here's what he said. You fornicating woman, you're dying and going to hell. And I thought, is he talking to me? <laughs> so I decided I would gently approach where he was at. And as I got closer, his words of fornication and what he thought might have been a word of knowledge listen, I'm, no, I'm trying to see Jesus, y'all. My kids, I have four witnesses in my life as to how I live, and you can bank on that with them. They'll tell on me. Your children will tell on you, okay? They will tell on you. Mine will, and I, they have permission to do that because I want accountability in my life. So he starts talking, and I get closer, and then he said, are you saved? Are you going to go to hell? I said, no, sir. He said, you got Jesus? I said, I do. And then he just goes on to just keep yelling at me. And I said, sir, I said, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. I said, not talking to these young ones like this. Well, how do you know that you're going to? And I said, sir, I'm a believer. I said, I also pastor. He said, oh, get away from me, you lying demon, woman, witch, whatever. Women are not supposed to teach. And this story is not about women teaching, okay? They're not. And I was like, okay, so I just listened to him in my heart. I didn't get angry with this guy. He asked my team. I got hurt. And as I moved away, you see how God sets this, this, this lesson God's been dealing with me since the earlier part of this year, the woman at the well. And then as I moved away, I didn't know that they were teams of these people. I, I stood by this guy, and I'm just watching like really sad. And the guy said, that really bothered you, huh? I was like, yeah. I said, that's real hurtful. I said, we just... Believers should be kind. We, Jesus didn't even come to judge us. We should be kind. And what, what part of that you disagree with? I said, well, the way that he's talking to people, I said, how everybody who sins knows that we sin. I don't need somebody to tell me when I'm bad. I can do bad all by myself, right? And I know when I do bad. I don't need someone to, to tell me that, but we have accountability. I want you to see if I'm falling into a ditch at Issey Mira. You're getting ready to fall into that ditch. And I'm like, be like, well, I know, or thanks. It's either way. But then the guy started telling me, he said, you know, and look, look at what he brought up. He said, remember the woman at the well? Didn't Jesus tell her that she was a sinner? And I looked at him. I said, oh, you're with him. Because as we read, we'll see Jesus never told her that. Okay. So the text comes from John 4. I'll first read um, passage or, or verses 1 through 4 King James Version. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees, the religious zealots, had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized no one. His disciples baptized. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. In verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. 
So the goal of this message today is to illustrate five things for us. It's that Jesus must do the will of the Father. Jesus desires for us to have an encounter with him. Jesus will break through every barrier to meet with us. Jesus desires to reveal himself to us, to you and I. And Jesus desires to use us to bring others into the kingdom of God. So point one, Jesus must do the will of the Father. Luke 4, 43 says, but he said to them, I must preach, I must preach, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose, I have been sent. John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day. The night is coming where no one can work. Luke 9, 22, saying this, that the Son of Man must suffer. Jesus is saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he will be rejected by the elders, the chiefs, the priests, and the scribes, the chief priests and scribes, and will be killed and be raised again on the third day. Was it necessary for Jesus to be raised again on the third day? Yes, because if he wasn't you and I would not inherit eternal life. Okay, so Luke 9, um, so we see that there's, from these three scriptures, there are three musts that Jesus talks about here. When we see this word scripture is emphasizing to us, and it is implying that something is a vital necessity. In fact, it's a divine appointment. When Jesus said, I must needs, I must, I must, I must, he's telling us that he's hearing something that is coming from outside of him. And to his spirit. Okay, John 5. This is perhaps one of the most beautiful scriptures. I love how the Amplified has it. It just takes the English and just makes it better. He says, I am able to do nothing from myself, independently from my own accord, but only as I am taught by God and as I get the Father's orders. Even as I hear, I judge. So everything he's hearing, he's judging as he's listening. I decide as I'm bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision, and it's a decision right away to obey. And my judgment is right, just, and righteous because, this is key point here, because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, to fulfill my own aim, my own purpose, but the only will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying that I only want to do what Father says. So when he tells us in John 4, verse 4, that he must go to Samaria, it's because he's hearing from the Father. So he would not go through Samaria if it were not the will of God. So let's settle that right there. He must go, all right? He must obey. Point two, Jesus desires for us to have an encounter with him. John 4, verse 5 through 7 in the Amplified. And in doing so, so as he must needs go, in doing so, he arrives in a Samaritan town called Sukkar, near the tract of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, tired as he was from this journey, sat down to rest at the well. It was then about the sixth hour, which is noontime. Presently, so verse 7, key verse here, presently when a woman of Samaria came along to draw water, and Jesus just looks at her and says, give me a drink right? So we see many things right here in the Bible, and we see Jesus's humanity for one, okay? The first thing he wants us to see here is that he's human. He's acquainted, the Bible says, with you and I. Well, it's impossible for Jesus to have been tempted with everything. No, if the Bible says so, it's the final authority. Jesus, like we were, has been tempted with every single thing, but yet he has overcome. And because he has overcome, every temptation that comes to us, we too will overcome if we choose him right? So we see his humanity. He was tired. He was thirsty. He had human appetite. It's about noontime. So the sun is at the hottest right about that time of day. And we see someone coming towards the well. He sees someone coming towards him. Did Jesus know that that woman would be approaching the well on that day as he sat there? Could he have possibly been expecting her? I believe so. Absolutely. God is omniscient. That mean he, he, it means that he's all-knowing. He knows all things before it happens, as it happens. He knows the outcome of everything. God is all-knowing. That's right, Mr. Dry. He is all-knowing. He's got the answers, guys. And nothing comes in our lives unless it passes through his hands first. Okay? So the Jews, of which Jesus himself was a Jew, avoided going to Samaria at all costs. There was hostility between them. 
Furthermore, the town that Jesus was near to is called Sukkar in um, the Hebrew tongue, and it teaches us much about this town itself. In fact, scripture says the original name of the town was Shechem or Shechem, um, and the Jews now call it Sukkar, which has a very derogatory connotation, derogatory meaning of this word. It means the seat of drunkards, all right? And scripture reveals scripture. So if there's one reference to it, there has to be more. You've got to learn how to search the word of God. So in Isaiah 28, verse 1, it says, Woe to Samaria, the crown of pride of the drunkards of Ephraim, the ten tribes, and to the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those who overcome and are smitten down with wine. So we have a bunch of drunkards in this town. And the Jews, they absolutely avoid coming here. But it's more to that than just their drunkenness that they avoid. But Jesus prefers that along the way that he would stop through Samaria to get from Jerusalem to Galilee. So that they, you know, so the Jews, they would actually go around. There's three ways that scripture said that they can go around. They could have went around the coastal line or they could have went around the other side instead of going through Samaria. So they would have preferred to take a six to seven day journey, either one of those options, than go through about a three day journey. That's a lot of dislike to them because they thought that as they would go through there, um, that they would defile themselves. And when Jesus encounters this woman, we have to think that in the Jewish custom, it was not Jewish etiquette or it was not appropriate for a rabbi, first of all, to speak to a woman. They were not supposed to teach women. Women were considered worse than dogs to teach the word because they were said of the Jewish rabbis of that time that they were illiterate and they could not hold on to anything. Okay, so this was the view. So then she looks at him, and as I go into point three, you'll see. So the Jews avoided them because they were unclean to them. All right, they didn't believe like the Jews did, and we'll see more of this as I go further in the story. So point three, this takes us right into point three. Jesus will break through every barrier, every obstacle he will break through to meet with you and I. John 4, 9, as we continue with the story, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, right, ask me, a woman of Samaria, to give you a drink? For Jews have nothing to do with us Samaritans. See, so I, see, I see a little bite in her words. Remember, you know, <laughs> the Bible is full of drama. It is the best TV show that you will ever look at. I promise. So I could see a little bite in her tongue. How are you being a Jew? Ask me. Y'all don't even talk to us. Like, what would I have to do with you and you with me? You know, so as I mentioned before, there was hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, there was hostility. There was hatred. First Kings chapters 1 through 12 and, and Second Chronicles chapter 1 through 12 will give you a good detail of this story. But for this part of what I will explain, the Samaritans were of the northern 10 tribes of Israel and they were separated from Judah and Benjamin, right? And so through the leadership of Solomon's terrible king's son, Rehoboam, they fell into sin. And because of this, they were captured by the Assyrian armies. And when this had happened, the Assyrians assimilated themselves with these people, with these Isra or Is Israelites. They assimilated into their culture. They intermingled with marriage. They brought their false pagan gods. And the 10 tribes, like lost sheep, doo -doo -doo, they went along and they followed. So there was a lot of hatred from the southern tribes that say, how could you not follow after the one true and living God? But we see that some, not all of them, so the, the Jews that were in Judea and from the tribe of Benjamin, that was you know where David took reign over Judea, they considered these Samaritans along with these other tribes half-breeds. It's all in the Bible, all right? And they, but what they both believed is in the God of Abraham. The ones who were of the tribe, still there were some people of Samaria and some Samaritans. And we'll see what I mean by that when I, as I move on. So they both believe in the God of Jacob, as we'll see that she gives an account for. And they both knew that Moses was a prophet by God. The basic, the, the main difference here is that these 10 tribes that separated, they just believed in the first five books of the Bible in the Pentateuch. The rest of them believe the law and all of the prophets and the rabbi. 
the Samaritans, they just believe in the Levitical priesthood. They didn't want to listen to a rabbi or anyone else. They just believe in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the rest of the books, the other two tribes believed, right? So these were basic principles. Again, we can say that many of us can call ourselves Christians, but many of us don't believe the same things. That's kind of like this, like how that man treated me. That's why I told that story. He was, I didn't know why I was telling the story. I didn't think of telling him. He was so hostile towards me. And I'm thinking, dude, we're here for the same purpose, to win people to Jesus. How could you act like this to me? So I, I walked away thinking, God, either he's right and I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I need you to show me and bring me to life because I don't want to be outside of your will. They went as far as to say that if you have a woman preaching from your pulpit, that you know your church is going to go to to queerness i'm like dude you don't know me and what i believe you know you don't know how i believe and, and how i seek the lord so that is not working kingdom together we must be joint that if somebody has an idea of jesus find out how you can minister more of jesus right so Jesus is breaking through the cultural barrier here to reach this woman. A rabbi is not supposed to talk to a woman. I'm going to talk to her. Or the Jews are not supposed to talk to people of Samaria. I am going to talk to this woman. In fact, I'll take this hard road. He himself told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, don't go into Samaria. He did. And that still has me scratching my head a little. I think it's because his disciples could have possibly been like that man who encountered me with them. He didn't trust them yet until he ascended. When he ascended, when he rose from the grave, then he said, go into all the world and go into Samaria. He didn't trust them yet with them. That's why I think he told them in Matthew 10, don't go there. But here he goes. So point four, Jesus desires to reveal himself to us. So I'm going to take some time to read this scripture. So John 4, you can follow along with me, 10 through 26 in the Amplified. So Jesus answered her, If you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing. See the bite? You have nothing to draw with, no drawing bucket, and this well is deep. How can you give me and provide for me living water? Where do you get your living water? So are you greater than and superior to our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and who gave or who used to drink from this himself and his sons and his cattle too? Jesus answered, all who drink of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never, no, never be thirsty anymore. But the water that I will give him shall become a spring of water welling up, flowing, bubbling continually within him unto and into for eternal life. Verse 15, it's good. Yes, it's good. That's living water right there. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Just give it to me, okay? So that I may never thirst again or that I wouldn't have to come here to continuously fill up my bucket. Okay, she's looking at everything that he's not talking about. She said, I don't want to come here and, and fill up this bucket. So then, she, then Jesus said to her, at this time, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered, I have no husband. I think it took her like a minute to answer that. She said, I have no husband, right? And um, Jesus says to her, see, he's flipped the dialogue. Now we go from water to marriage. It's a really beautiful passage of scripture. And Jesus says, for you have had five husbands. He said, you've spoken truly in saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man that you're now living with is not your husband. In this you have spoken truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I see and I understand that you are a prophet. Our forefathers, see, she's referring to the God of Jacob. Our forefathers worshiped on this mountain, or she's referring to our forefathers. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where it is necessary and proper for worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither merely in this mountain nor merely in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not know what you are worshiping. You worship what you do not understand, do not comprehend. 
We know what we are worshiping. We worship what we have knowledge and understanding. For after all, salvation comes from among the Jews. Jesus is saying that it's not just the first five books, it's all of it. He has said in the New Testament, I have come to fulfill the law, which they believe, and the prophets, all the other books. That's why he's saying you don't have a complete knowledge of what you're worshiping. You're off a little bit, right? For salvation comes from among the Jews. But a time will come, however, indeed, it is already here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these as his worshipers. God is a spirit, a spirit being. And those who worship him must worship. Again, we see that word. Jesus is saying must, divine necessity that you must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Where is she getting all this knowledge from? This sinful woman. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, the anointed one. And when he arrives, he will tell us everything Jesus will tell her everything that she needs to know and make it clear to me. That's what she's telling him. And look at what our beautiful Lord says. Jesus said to her, I who now speak with you am he. So the original text says that it answered as I am. When God was sending Moses out, it's the same I am. That opened the grave, I am. Okay, Jesus reveals himself to this sinful Samaritan woman. Several things our passage of scripture is revealing to us. What he gives surpasses momentary need. All she was concerned about was getting that well bucket filled up. He is saying, what I have is life-giving. It's life-sustaining. When you taste of this, you'll never want anything else right? It surpasses all physical needs, and it is kindness, it's peace, it's patience, it's gentleness to her soul. So look at the discord or the discourse and conversation happening between them in verses 11 through 15. She is looking at physical things, right? He has nothing to get this water with. How can he give me water to drink when he has no means to do that? This well was dug by her ancestor Jacob, how can this man get water from this well? Is he greater? She is questioning Jesus based on his outward appearance and outward conversation because her spirit is, is not grabbing that yet. And notice, did Jesus even respond to that foolishness? See, did he respond? My, my greatest regret is that I responded to that man's nonsense. See, I'm still learning how to respond like Jesus. Some things don't need a response. And I'm learning how to be quiet and how to just, if it's stupid, I don't have an answer for you. Just Jesus didn't do stupid, I shouldn't do stupid. Okay? So I just, yeah, it's just like that's what we do. He didn't have a response to that. He didn't respond who is greater. He knows who he is. He doesn't have to say I'm better. Ooh, I got one up. He, he's not one-upping anything. He knows who he is. Instead, he promises that what he has will cause her to never thirst again. That was his response. What I got is something that will cause you to never be in want again. All right? He desires to give us perpetual life. Remember that bubbling continuously flowing? It's perpetual, always happening. Um, that will fill us from the inside out. Yet this woman is still stuck in her needs, and all she can see is this life that's in front of her. I believe that she responds to Jesus with questions because her life has been hard. A life perhaps full of rejection. When he asks her for a drink, she comes back with a question. She reminded him, hey, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Like she wanted him to just reject her from the start. Oh, that's right, I'm not supposed to talk to you. He didn't engage that. He was there with purpose. He must, he heard from the father, I must go. And he went, so he didn't give way to that. It, it, so even that she was expressing, and, and then she expressed that she had a need for something. Well, I want this. She did have a need for something. Her need at that time, I don't wanna come back to this place. I just don't. For whatever the reason, it must have been hard. Here she is in the heat of the day. In the Bible, as you read stories, 
You know, you'll see that women went to the well early in the morning, late in the evening. They went together and not alone because at that time things were different. Here she is at the heat of the day when nobody is there. What is she running from? There was a need in her. You know, we know that she had no servant to draw water with or to draw water for her. She was drawing the water her very self. She had no servant. So that tells me that, see, you, you, gotta, you gotta search the scriptures. Be like the Bereans, search it for what God is saying. Her life was hard, right? But Jesus changes this dialogue and he says to her that, go call your husband. She responds, I don't have a husband. He gets to the heart of the matter with this woman. So verse 17 through 18 says, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you've spoken truly. You have none. You've had five. The man that you're with now is not your husband. You know, you said it, girl, you said it. And you know, here's, I'd like to point out in this scripture, there's nowhere in this passage that the Bible says that she was divorced. You can't find it. There's no reference to her being divorced. In fact, or that she's in adultery. Let me just set this up now for you. She could have been a widow who had had husbands, you know, men didn't live as long back then. They, they said their, the mortality rate was very low because of their hard lifestyle, working, farming, doing what they're doing, you know, um, food, whatever it was, they just didn't live as long. She could have had husbands and had no children. And the Bible tells us that if the first one dies and leaves no bearing, that the brother is supposed to marry, so they keep having sons. And you know, in Luke, the disciples were trying, or the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up. And they said, hey, if a woman, you know, they were wanting to, the Sadducees were wanting to talk about the resurrection. They said, if a woman, you know, is married and her husband has no death or like no offspring and he dies and she marries even up to the seventh brother, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? So we know that this woman could have had dead husbands. And who's to say that the one that she was living with, that she wasn't a slave to this man or concubine? Where scripture doesn't speak, don't speak for it. Don't speak for it. Just say, Lord, I don't understand put it on a shelf and he'll give you the revelation when the time is right. I don't believe because again, we see when Jesus go back, go a couple chapters forward and Jesus heals a paralytic man and he heals, you know, and he heals him. And he says, you know, after he heals him, he said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing happen to you. All right. The woman caught in adultery. He said, woman, when he looks up, he said, where are your accusers? He said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. But Jesus didn't tell her that in this story. So let's not put something in there that's not there, okay? She had a need. She had five husbands. We don't know how she got there. She's living with someone. We don't know how, why, but let's just stick to the story, all right? So um, she reveals and she begins opening up to her. And Jesus, he changes this discussion with her because he is wanting to make a connection with her, okay? So he connects through what the scripture had, what he told her was, it's called a word of knowledge. So he had a word of knowledge over her and he tells her, I know your life. Daughter, I know your life, right? So she begins to open up and she moves now at this point in discussion, verse 20, she moves from the natural physical into the spiritual. This woman begins to reveal herself and what her heart longs for. She accepts that he can see more meets the eyes because she says to him in, in verse 20 our forefathers worshiped on this mountain but you jews say that jerusalem is a place where necessary where it is necessary and proper to worship god see what she does here she's identifying that she sees that he's more than a mere man that she can finally ask what her heart has been longing for she perhaps begins to recognize that there is a deeper need within her own soul I think it's at this point that she realizes that the water he's offering me is greater than what I can physically draw from this well, what I have to labor and toil for. He goes on to explain that she's been chasing something that is wrong, worshiping something that she doesn't know. He tells her, you don't know what true worship is. You've been doing it wrong, right? I'm, I'm a Jew. I can tell you what it is, but I'm now more than a mere man because I've spoken into the deepest place of hurt and rejection into your life. That's what Jesus does, okay? So he reveals the true worship. Perhaps the most remarkable thing that I can see in this woman's response was to Jesus's in verse 25, when she said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. 
he who is called Christ, the anointed one. And when he arrives, oh my gosh, when he arrives, he's going to tell me everything and make it clear. Why is my life like this, God? What can I do to change my circumstances? How could you look at me, a woman from Samaria, and talk to me, God? Because Jesus, he didn't reveal himself to anybody else but her. He didn't. As if we can go backwards in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. Everyone kept on asking Jesus, tell us if you're the Christ. Nicodemus sees signs, wonders, miracles, and yet he couldn't understand things that he studied in the law that Messiah was coming. Here, this woman of sin, of questionable background, complex as can be, we still don't have all the answers as to why she was like this. And Jesus, he breaks through, he goes and listens to the Father. He wants to meet her. He's waiting for her to come to this well. He could have went with his disciples to buy bread in town. They were hungry, and they went to get food. And he engages his daughter, and he says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I am he, the one that you're so thirsty for. And I think, beloved, I think, I don't know because scripture is not clear. But from what I know, from what I've searched, he uses marriage as the context to tell us that he is our ultimate bridegroom. See, everything that she had before didn't work. I, Jesus says, I am the bridegroom and I'm waiting for my bride to recognize all creation waits for the sons of God to manifest themselves in this world. He's waiting for someone to get hungry enough that he can say, I am he. I am he. All right, so she's been longing. She's been looking. That was profound that this daughter says, I know the Messiah is coming because when he comes, he'll make it all plain. She's longing. She's looking. She's waiting. And this woman, she has some knowledge of spiritual things. That's what just fascinated me with this. She knows something, right? As I mentioned before, they observed the first five books in the Bible. So if she was reading that, she would have found it in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses prophesied of Messiah's coming. And Moses did say, when he comes, he'll make all things clear. He'll make it known to us. Okay, she's aware of this. She's looking for him. Could it be that Jesus desired to get to Samaria, sends his disciples off just for this one? All right, so he desires that. So he says, I am he for the first time in scriptures. He reveals himself. Big deal, y'all, big deal. Okay, um, he is the blessed bridegroom. And my last point is Jesus desires to use us to bring others into the kingdom. Look at this phenomenal Samaritan woman, this woman of Samaria. At this point, his disciples came and they marvel that he talked with this woman, yet no one says, hey, what do, you, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot. The one thing, she came there for water. She leaves this. She doesn't have a servant. So I would think this is a costly thing for her. She leaves this water pot. She goes back to the city and says to the men of the city, to the men, scripture says the men. She says to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this possibly be Jesus? Could it be Messiah? Then they went out to the city and came to him. They came to Jesus. These men followed. They came to Jesus. Why would they follow such a woman like this? You know, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. He's there. To, he, he was tired. He was thirsty. And all of a sudden he forgets his physical needs. Because you see, I said to you this morning, as you pour out to others, something gets filled up inside of you. You're doing the work of the father. So you forget those natural things, and all of a sudden, you're living. Moses went. I mean, for 40 days, he was up there. He desired neither food nor drink. Jesus did, too, because they were so in tune with the Father. There's something that happens to us in the spiritual when we hit those levels that it's the last thing on our minds what we're going to eat. 
Okay, so they went out to the city. They come to him. In the meantime, his disciples urge him, Rabbi, eat. He says, I'm not hungry, you know, and they're thinking, does somebody fill him up because he's not hungry anymore, you know, but that's not the case. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. All right. So do not say that there is still four months and then comes a harvest. Behold, I say to you, as, as he lifted his eyes and he looked into the fields and he said, it's already white for harvest. He's looking at Samaria. We're looking at the city of Raleigh. It's already ripe. There's somebody in that city. Okay. He says that there's he who, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For is this, this, is this saying true? One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. Who's laboring at this point? Who goes back to the village? The woman. Who sows the first seed? Jesus. What does she go? She goes to this village and she's telling them, come meet this man. And they all come out. They followed her voice. So Jesus is saying, we're getting ready to reap Samaria, all right? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. You know, I think, like, why did Jesus tell the woman first who he was and not Nicodemus? Because if you want something told, go tell a woman. <laughs> we have lots of words, okay? We have lots of words. It's okay. We have lots of words compared to men. Um, but they went out, she told them, and the people believed because of this woman's testimony. Um, and he stayed with them. For two days, Jesus remained in Samaria. And many believe now, not just because of her testimony, but they heard it from the master himself. So when his disciples came and saw him, they questioned, yet they didn't ask what they were thinking. But because scripture tells us that, we know that Jesus at some point made their thoughts known to the um, apostle John. The woman doesn't even acknowledge these men that are with Jesus. She is past the point of Jews and Samaritans now. What a great blessing. She just ignores them. She leaves that water pot there, her means of getting this water that she was, she forgot what she was there for. She forgot her physical need and now she's tapped into the spiritual and she runs and she tells them. So I don't want to downplay what's happening here. The Bible teaches us that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks, okay? So our actions will always reveal what's important to us. So if we're excited about Jesus, I promise you can't keep it back somehow or the other. At, the, at a conversation, you're gonna start talking about the one whom your soul loves, okay? I asked myself the question this week. I said, Lord, do I love you? Lord, do I love you? How do I tell if I love you? Because I can brag on how you love me because I know how you've delivered me, God. I know, I know how different my life is 28 years into the Lord. I am not that Mira that was, you know, 20 years old when I accepted Jesus. I am no longer that woman. But how do I know that I really love you, Lord? Mira, do you obey me? Is my every thought Every day do I turn my conversations upward? Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, how would you respond to this? Is he the first person that I run to or is he my last thought? How do we know we love him? Okay, so I don't wanna downplay. The Bible teaches us that we are gonna talk about and live out what's important to us. And we have to be self-reflective that we're constantly measuring how we're doing in the Lord. And if you are no different today than you were 10 years ago when you got saved, you're no different. It's no different. What has Jesus done for you? And how are you blessing him in return? He didn't even ask you. He just said, you know, just, just follow me. Just follow me. So her message was received by these men. They went out to meet Jesus. Jesus used the knowledge of her life, not to condemn her. It was used to cause her to move beyond her life circumstances and reach the people where he said the harvest is plenty. Could it be that this weary daughter that was coming up here in the heat of the day, could it be that her soul cried out to the master and the father heard and Jesus was like, well, I got to go there now. 
Could it be that heaven just responded immediately to her heart? Could we be like her? Could we be like her? Where we're thinking, God, it is in the heat of the day and I'm just tired of doing life like I've been doing it. I need something that's living and bursting from in here that something in my life could be out there. Don't you know that if you're like that, you know, Jesus, he runs. Look at the, look at the story of the prodigal. And I hate to be a tear bucket with you all. He saw his son a long ways off and he ran to that son. That kid was like, man, it, I could eat better like this at my father's house. It's not that he even wanted the father. He didn't want the father. He just wanted something from his house. And God said, it's a long way off. He saw him and he ran to him. See, some of us might come to him just wanting something. It might not be him yet. He's okay with that. The scripture says it. He's okay with that. But I am telling you, time is short. You're going to keep hearing this message. How long will you hear this message of turn? Turn away from sin. Turn away from those things that draws you away from the master. He will come to you. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone opens, just open it. Thanks, James. If anyone opens it, I'll come and I'll sit with you. He was sitting at the well waiting for her. He loves you. He loves me, but he wants more from you. He just don't want you to just make church on a Wednesday or a Sunday. He just don't want you to know the language of what a believer should do. He wants you to leave and go and cause those that are in your villages to come close. He wants you to measure that. So five things as I close. Five things. Are there things that God is asking you to do that you must do? John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How are you doing in keeping the word first? Because when I asked him, I said, Lord, do I love you? He said, well, do you obey me? I said, as much as I can. I got to measure it. And when I don't, man, it breaks me. I feel like, God, I've hurt you. The Bible says that when we continuously sin, it's like we put him on that cross fresh again for the enemy to laugh at him. Do we have anyone laughing because of our disobedience? Do we have people laughing and saying that, hey, those are Christians, but look how they're living. See, at NC State, those students mock Christians because of how those people display our Father. We gotta make room. So Jesus said, I must do the will of my Father. So too, as disciples of God, we value discipleship. Empowerment is one of the values that we value here at Victory Church. That means that when you come in, it's stewardship. We value stewardship. We want you to become all that God's called. This is the locker room. This is the locker room. We sing about God's faithfulness, but are we as faithful to him as we expect him to be faithful to us? This is the locker room. What are we doing when we leave these doors? It's not about coming to church. It's not about that. So it's point two, are you making time to have daily encounters with the Lord? Do you spend time in the word? Do you worship? Do you pray? Do you meet with other believers? Are you serving others? Is your prayer daily, Lord, help me to love you that I could love others better? Help me to serve you, God, so I can serve others more. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Okay, but he wants us, he desires to encounter with us daily, not once in your lifetime. Every day you want to hear from him. Point three, are you looking for reasons to love and meet others where they are in life? What social, cultural, ethnic, demographic barriers keep you from being a true witness to Christ? Okay, so if we think as evangelicals that we have all the answers in the word, do we 
look down on Methodists? Do we look down on, on Episcopalians, on Anglicans, Presbyterians, Catholics? Do we just know more than them and they're hell bound? How about let's be like, you know, listen, the Bible says in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 63, that we will actually see people burning in hell. Okay, Lazarus in the rich man's bosom, he saw the rich, or in Lazarus in Abraham's bosom saw the rich man in hell. Is it going to be like that for us? So if we see someone walking in the way, why wouldn't we not want to go tell him, come let me tell you about this man who loves me just the way that I am and who tells me everything that I need to know about myself, of how to walk with him. What are we doing? All right, Jesus has broken through every barrier so that he can come to you and I. Can we trust, can Jesus trust us to reveal himself to us? He trusted this woman to have revealed himself to us. Jesus desires to have reveal himself to us. And are we witnessing to everyone that will listen? Or are we hiding the kingdom? Are we like that lazy servant who took what the master gave him and said, let me go hide it because my master's wicked? Jesus said no to him. He said, no, you wicked and lazy servant. Look at, look at what you did with the treasure. Are we wicked and lazy? Or are we saying, God, I'm going to be like this woman. I know what you've done for me, and I'm going to go shout it out to everybody. Okay, so he desires to use us to bring others to his kingdom. That's all I've got. If I can get everyone to please stand up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm not going to beg anybody. I, I don't think that we got to beg people to come into the kingdom. I don't. Not the ones that have chosen to worship with us this morning. But I will ask that um, every head bow, every eye close, that if you're in this room this morning, and just like this woman or other people in the Bible, that there are things that maybe, maybe there's some of you, I kind of feel that a little bit, that feel you're not worthy for God to use you. I want you to make your way down here. We're, we're just going to pray. It's like we got to take a step. It's, church is the safest place for you to take your next step. Church is the safest place, beloved. It doesn't matter what our past is. It, it does, your past doesn't define you. It's your moving forward in God. You might feel like you're the most unworthy person for Jesus to use, but I tell you, he loves you. He's waiting. He's standing there, and he's beckoning you. He is moving ahead of you to meet you before you even get to the next stop. If that's you, I want you to come on down. If you're in that other category where you just don't know how to encounter God, and you're wanting more of God, and you're wanting him to show you what that next step is, you're wanting him to use you, I want you to come down here. I'm not going to beg you, but as long as you're living, someone got really upset with me one time because I said retirement is not in the Bible. It's not. You know, even like yesterday, I tell you, the enemy came at me in my mind, and it's like every thought about quitting here came to my mind because I thought, well, I could be doing this with my family. I could be at this wedding. I could be here. I could be there because I couldn't do some things in the natural. And every thought came against me that I didn't even sleep. I didn't even sleep an hour last night. Just, but I said, God, I, you have given me your life and I give you everything I have in return. There is no money, no vacation. You know, my friend offered me an all expense Kate paid vacation to Europe. I just can't because the work is greater. The work is greater. But if you desire to be used of God, I want you to come. That's why my steel got my sleep got stolen from me. Because we're gonna pray. But if you desire to be used of God and there's just some confusion. Retirement is not an option, y'all, as long as you have life in your body. God desires for you to bring people in. He desires for you to be used of him. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't. He'll say, come, 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 because I have a plan for you. And it's plans of good 
of a future hope. You know, that scripture is given to the body, not just individually, it's when we're together. Your greatest day, as we sing today, the best is yet to come because God has placed himself in each and every one of us. My gosh, his plan for you is big. It's bigger than you can see. And where people might reject you, listen, some of my family will never ask me to pray for them. They'll never accept it. Some of my closest friends, they will not accept the gift that God's placed in me. I don't do it for them. I do it for one. Whoever that one is, is where we pour out. It's okay if people reject your gift. The Pharisees, Jesus' very own, he left the day before because they didn't want him. They were worried that he was doing too much and they were jealous of what was in him. God says, if you want me, you got me. If you want him today, come here. And we're gonna pray together. It's nothing magical, you all. It's nothing magical. That's not what we do this for. I'm just saying to you that you have a greater call, a greater call. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, come here. We'll include all of this in our prayer today. I ask that nobody, like even when we dismiss and if we're praying up here, guys, let me just do some housekeeping. This is family. This is the locker room. Don't be standing. If you got to talk, go out of the auditorium. Because this is precious. It's precious, right? It's just a precious time. It's all right. It got, God loves you. And he desires to be called by you. He desires to work in you and through you. So I want everybody to just stretch your hands out. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, especially for those who have made their way up here. Father, I ask that whatever it is, whatever burdens that they have come here with, God, I know that you've met it. Lord, whatever the past is, whatever the present might seem like, God, whatever rejection, oh Lord, I feel so much rejection here. Whatever that is, God, Lord, I thank you that you're working it out. God, that you're taking that heaviness from them right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that, Lord, no eye has seen, ear has heard every person, Father. By faith, I touch them right now. I ask, God, that they would be used in extraordinary ways, extraordinary, supernatural ways, Father, in the name of Jesus. I ask, God, that you're going to show them their call confirm it in them. Send mentors, Father, not counselors that keeps them coming back for more, but send them mentors, men and women of God that will speak life into them, Father, that will help them to move from point A to Z, God, in you. And Lord, I thank you that the Spirit of God is present. I thank you, God, that the greater one is in us. God, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you're going to move in each and every one, God. Give them exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ever ask, think, or imagine. I thank you, Jesus, that you have died, that all would come to know you. Father, you said that you wish that none would perish. Lord, but even more so as we come before you, we want to come and present you with something, Father. We want to do more for your kingdom, God. Show us what that is. Give us the words that we need, Father, for every person here. Lord, as they go into their mission field, I pray that they'll have the tongue of the learned. I pray, God, that they will speak as an oracle of God, as one who walks with you. God, I pray that you will open the ears of their, their spiritual ears and give them understanding in the revelation and in the knowledge of who you are, of your glory, Father. Let them see that. Let them see that they're a beautiful bride and help them, Father, to look towards the return of our bridegroom. Josh, you got something? We thank you, Lord. We ask that you fill us up with your spirit, God. Fill us up, God. Thank you, Father. For every person who doesn't know you, God, I pray for a new experience with you. Lord, one touch is all it takes. I ask, Father, for every longing heart under the sound of my voice in the future, those online, Lord, that would want to know Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you'll make yourself known to them, Father. Meet them at their will. Encounter them, Father. Run to them, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father.